0: suffer how could he be all-powerful how could we expect him to do anything about the problem of suffering why believe in a god that suffers well good everyone lachlan Orr here uh welcome to bible shots where we take time out of our day to consider what it is that the bible has to say to us if you've never been to one of our meetings before uh Welcome to Bible Shots It is a pretty simple format uh, that we hope like an espresso shot leaves you feeling energized and ready to focus on whatever tasks you have ahead of you this afternoon. Basically, we read part of the Bible, then we hear a talk on that part of the Bible, and then we'll have some time for Q&A afterwards as well. And if you have questions, uh, you can send them through using uh, the Q&A function on Zoom, or if you're joining us live via Facebook, you can post them into the comments uh, section below. And one of the City Bible Forum staff will send them to me for our Q&A time. Now, not everyone who tunes into Bible Shots is a follower of Jesus. Uh, You may have never opened a Bible before, and that's okay. As long as you are happy to consider what the Bible has to say, we're glad to have you joining us, and we're glad to have you engage in Q&A time. Uh, And today, we are once again joined by Rob Martin, who works for City Bible Forum's Melbourne team. Uh, Welcome, Rob.
1: Thank you, Lachlan. It's great to be back.
0: Uh, now, you're continuing to take us through our series on Jesus versus suffering, where we're considering one of the biographies of Jesus and how Jesus responds to the problem of suffering and evil. Uh, today, we're talking about expectations and particularly the expectations that we might have of God and how he would deal with suffering. Um, but uh, just as a bit of a side question, Rob, are there any other time, any times where your expectations just haven't been met?
1: Yeah, there's there's plenty plenty of times, actually, and I, I share one in the, in the in the talk that I'm going to give in a moment, but there was one particular time a number of years ago when, I mean, I, I don't mind a bit of stand-up comedy, and I don't mind going to listen to comedians and, and watch comedy shows, and so one day, I was um, actually living in Sydney at the time, I was studying at university, and I heard of a festival of comics, and I thought, oh, I don't mind a festival of comedians, so I went along, so I brought a friend of mine along from the college that I was living in at the time. We went down to Darling Harbour, which, for many of you, know where that is in in Sydney. We went down to have a look to check out this uh, this comic festival, um, which I expected to be a bunch of comedians. But when I got there, was actually a bunch of comic books, um, and so I didn't we didn't actually pay to go in because it wasn't quite what I was expecting. I was expecting comedians, not. Um, uh, phantom books and superman etc so yeah so that was a bit, my expectations were quite uh, dashed and also i was a little bit embarrassed as well because i had dragged a friend along promising him a day of listening to fine comedy um <laughs> and listening to comics but in not reading them uh yes yeah. so that was my expectations were quite dashed and so that did impact the, the uh the rest of my day uh, i felt a bit embarrassed from that as well yeah
0: how, how many cosplayers did you need to see before you realized hang on a second
1: <laughs> yeah i don't know i just got there and as soon as we saw the sign i thought oh no this is the wrong comics this is very <laughs> this is very disappointing so um yeah Anyway, so that was my expectations were quite dashed. And so I was expecting a day of comedy. And I think, I don't know, we just, I think we just went back to where I was staying. Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't, yeah. But my expectations were quite dashed, unfortunately.
0: Uh, well, hopefully uh, our expectations of today won't be dashed as we uh, look at the Bible and consider what it has to say. And particularly as we think about the expectations we might have of God compared, uh, when we think about suffering. Uh, we're going to look at part of the Bible now. We're looking at Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses. 13 to 28 it's uh one part of the bible that rob will be focusing on that's the bit we're going to read uh, now which is on the screen in front of you and we're reading it from the uh niv uh matthew chapter 16 starting at verse 13 when jesus came to the region of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples who do people say the son of man is they replied some say john the baptist others say elijah and still others jeremiah or one of the prophets but what about you he asked I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the messiah from that time on jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul for the son of man is going to come in the father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done truly i tell you some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the son of man coming in his kingdom thank you rob
1: Thanks, Lachlan. Uh, now, if you got a pet sheep, what would you expect? Now, when I was about eight years old, my seven-year-old sister wanted a pet sheep. and uh, Now, we lived in a wheat sheep area uh, near Wagga in the Riverina, part of New South Wales at the time, and so there were plenty of sheep around. Now, my sister then received a pet lamb for her birthday. Now, then what would you expect to happen? Now, my sister was expecting a, a quiet, placid little lamb that she could read books to. We were expecting a obedient domestic compliant pet but our expectations were not met we were not expecting the animal to grow up we were not expecting the backyard to be eaten bare we were not expecting piles of sheep droppings everywhere we weren't expecting it to butt my youngest brother who was so scared that he'd never go into the backyard so our expectations were not met Now, expectations are important because they affect how you interpret an experience. Um, The key to good marketing, apparently, is to manage expectations. If you aim low and hit it, well, people are satisfied. So, expectations are important. So, then what are your expectations of God, particularly when it comes to suffering? Now, some thinkers maintain that God cannot and does not suffer. Now this is a theme in islam now the islamic version of god asserts that god certainly cannot suffer or die now they have a point because suffering implies weakness doesn't it fallibility it implies that god is not all-powerful and surely weakness is not a virtue of god moreover would muslims look to jesus and recognize him as an anointed powerful inspired prophet of god so how could god let his anointed suffer So to Muslims, suffering does not form any part of their expectations of what God can do. Now, and first century, Jews had similar expectations about their Messiah, about the special anointed one who was to come. Now, the special one is a theme in many movies like the special from the Lego movie or Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars or Neo from the Matrix. A uh, A special leader who's going to deliver his people from oppression and bring hope. And the hope of the coming of this special one was a very real and intense one for first century Jews. The hope was that God would send a deliverer to overthrow, overthrow the Romans, reinstate Israel among the nations and make a new nation, the Lord of the earth. It would be a physical and political kingdom. So these are expectations of what God is and what God can do. God cannot suffer. There's expectations of what the Messiah is and what the Messiah can do. The Messiah cannot suffer. Yet Jesus had a habit of overturning expectations. Now, when you read through the Gospel of Matthew, you notice that it swivels on a central pivot. And this pivot is Matthew chapter 16, which which Lachlan had read for us before. This is because we switch from the identity of Jesus to his mission. We switch from learning about who jesus is to what he's going to do now and the switch becomes quite pronounced if you go through matthew just looking at the references to suffering now up to chapter 16 of, of matthew most of the references to suffering is about suffering in the world so the suffering due to the actions of sinful people agents of evil which we looked at last week or suffering due to natural evil disease sickness and so on and in the first half of matthew we see jesus alleviating the suffering because these actions point towards his identity as the Messiah. Now, this is because there were predictions in the Old Testament that when the Messiah came, this, this special one, he would do things like open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the death. It was the job of the Messiah to alleviate suffering. So then when people see Jesus doing these types of healings and then start, they start drawing the connection. They see Jesus healing the lame, the blind, and the mutant. And they think, hey, he is the great Messiah who was promised. He is the special one. And this was entirely within the expectations of the Jews. See, Jesus had done everything consistent with being the Messiah. But now we need confirmation. And clarity on Jesus' identity reaches a climax in this chapter, when Jesus asks the big question in, in chapter 16, verse 13, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Jesus is asking the question, who am I? Now, like today, lots of people have lots of ideas about Jesus. Notice that many people thought Jesus was a great prophet. But Jesus focuses the question and asks, But what about you? He asked, Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's it. Boom, correct. The Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. It's, th- it's the same thing. So Peter is, sa- Peter is saying that Jesus is. The one who is to come he is the special one the chosen one the special and does jesus disagree well no. look in verse 16 no he affirms peter's observation he has been made known to peter who he really is peter answers correctly jesus affirms peter and affirms his role of primacy and importance in the early church now everything's going well until the big switch occurs the big pivot occurs in verse 21 what happens there what it says from that time on jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life now hang on here this is not that's not what we expected jesus the messiah the one who suffers first century jews would have expected him to say yes i'm the the messiah so let's find some weapons let's get ready to rumble and kick some roman backside but no jesus says he will suffer and be killed so rather than causing suffering as the messiah and conquering the world contrary to jewish expectations the messiah will instead suffer he will suffer and be killed hence peter's reaction is understandable look in verse 22 peter takes jesus aside and begins to rebuke him he says never lord he says this shall never happen to you now you can understand peter here jesus has demonstrated himself as power He can certainly heal the sick and raise dead people. Surely he couldn't suffer though. He was the Messiah and the Messiah cannot suffer. That's not the plan. That's not what we expected. Yet Jesus had a habit of overturning expectations. He overturns his expectations by turning to Peter and saying in no uncertain terms that Peter's wrong. Get behind me, Satan. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever heard someone say that at a work meeting where someone disagrees with the boss, but Jesus is pointing out, That the expectations peter had about jesus mission and the messiah were wrong in fact they were of the devil jesus wasn't about political power and military conquest his kingdom was radically different and jesus continues to contradict the expectations of life with him the disciples as peter exemplifies seems to like they were imagining life of jesus the messiah as a life of military power conquest and glory yet jesus then outlines what it means to follow him in the following verses in verse 24 jesus says If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, following Jesus is not about military glory, but sacrifice and taking up the cross. Now, the cross has become so familiar to us that perhaps we fail to appreciate what Jesus is really saying here. Death on the cross was an ultimate in humiliation. Crucifixion was the most shameful and most brutal punishment in the ancient world. It was even worse than being decapitated or being burned alive the roman philosopher seneca said that any other form of death was preferable to crucifixion and jesus is now calling his followers to take up their cross and follow him take up the most shameful symbol reserved for criminals and follow him jesus is effectively saying you follow me you'll suffer shame ridicule and pain you will suffer now interestingly if we, if we were to apply this today it would be tantamount to jesus saying "Look." take up your electric chair and follow jesus suffering is implicit in following jesus in fact jesus causes suffering for those who follow him and we see this in later in the book but also but and tragically there are countless examples often invisible to the mainstream media there are many examples of believers who suffer hardship persecution or even death for the sake of jesus just recently there was a massacre of christians in northern nigeria indeed 350 nigerian christians were massacred in the first two months of just this year these people lost their lives for christ and for his sake they denied themselves took up their cross and followed jesus to a brutal murder in a very real sense the christian life is one of self-denial a form of suffering it means to live the christian life means not having everything that the world offers maybe not being as wealthy not having as many investments not traveling to see as much of the world but Jesus is asking, what's good of the gaining the whole world and yet forfeiting your soul? Jesus calls people to take up their cross, follow him, and in some ways suffer. Perhaps not what we would expect from someone seeking to gain followers. But Jesus asks nothing of his followers that he wasn't willing to do himself. And Jesus led by example, because Jesus' predictions were correct. He went to Jerusalem and suffered many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he was sentenced to be crucified, the most painful, shameful death. And I mentioned before that there was a pivot in Matthew, because if you look at the suffering references in the first half, we see it's at the world's suffering. The references to the suffering in the second half is actually references to the suffering about the Messiah, what he will experience, what his people will experience, etc. Very interesting just to look at that shift as you read through the book of um, matthew and it culminates in the the death of jesus the ultimate death which he prophes- or he predicts in matthew 16 Now, this is uh the death of jesus is a terrible tragedy if, if you were expecting your messiah to be a glorious military ruler yet he's suffering the most degrading and humiliating punishment if you're flicking your Bibles, if you have your Bibles there, or if you've got a uh, Bible gateway open, and you can flick to Matthew chapter 27. We'll be spending a little bit of time there, Matthew 27, 27 to 46, where we see the ultimate suffering of Jesus, the suffering of the Messiah, uh, in, where, the, where Jesus is mocked, ridiculed, insulted, and spat on. Jesus suffers at the hands of wicked men, agents of evil, perhaps. The world has turned on Jesus. In verses 27 to 31, it's the governor's shot soldiers. Then in verse 38, it's the other criminals, and then it's those who pass by. In verse 41, the chief priests, the elders of the law, and the elders, and the teachers of the law, and the elders mock him. Everyone is mocking and ridiculing Jesus as he dies. And as we hear the venom of Jesus' opponents, there's repetition of save. Look, it's in verse 40 of chapter 27. It says, save yourself. And then again in 42, he saved others, but he can't save himself. They're critical of the offer of salvation that Jesus claimed to bring. They claimed that by dying on the cross he was unable to save. They claimed he failed. Their expectations was that a dead Messiah was a failed messiah. Yet Jesus had a habit of overturning expectations. As we saw earlier, Jesus revealed his identity as the Messiah by alleviating suffering, and now Jesus suffering as Messiah reveals his purpose and his mission. Jesus' mission is found at the very start of the gospel in matthew one twenty one where it's a part of the nativity uh, reference there where it says she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus emmanuel uh, sorry you, you get given the name jesus because he will save his people from their sins so it's ironic the contrary to the expectations of the jewish leaders it is precisely through taking up his cross in suffering and in death as messiah that he can save his people from their sins now salvation from sins may feel a bit abstract and irrelevant perhaps in our modern world. many in our society don't seem overly concerned about their sins people don't see outwardly lament their guilt or go around wondering how to obtain forgiveness of their sins Yet, underneath i think there still is guilt people may not acknowledge it people often suppress it but underneath everyone in our culture is our sinful people in need of forgiveness it's a fascinating Ted talk by Matthew O'Reilly. He's a veteran emergency medical technician in New York. Now, he's been the first responder of a number of serious medical incidents. And he shared uh, in his talk that there were many people fatally injured asked him, am I going to die? Now, O'Reilly used to lie. But then one day he was speaking with a young motorcycle rider and he decided to start telling the truth. He did start telling people that they were going to die. And the reaction of people facing imminent death surprised him and as he sat with dying people he observed three patterns in the responses in those he informed of their news one was the need for remembrance whether it was to be remembered in uh, in, uh, in his thoughts or in loved ones they wanted to feel that they would be living on the second was to know that their life had meaning they needed to know that they did not waste their life on meaningless tasks but the other pattern he observed shocked him the most. Now, I don't believe Matthew O'Reilly was a religious person at all, but he observed that regardless of religious be- belief or cultural background, he observed a need for forgiveness. Whether they call it sin or they simply say they have a regret, he claims that guilt is universal. He once cared for an elderly gentleman who was having a massive heart attack. And as he prepared himself and his equipment for this imminent cardiac arrest, he began to tell the patient of his imminent demise he already knew by the tone of his voice and the body language And as he placed the defibrillator pads on the on his chest prepping for what was going to happen the gentleman looked matthew o'reilly in the eye and said i wish i had spent more time with my children and grandchildren instead of being selfish with my time faced with imminent death all he wanted was forgiveness People are guilty and want forgiveness. Yet the only way they will find it is not in the kind hands and the kind words of a paramedic who witnesses their last breath, but instead by the kind heart of the Messiah, the one who took the pain and shame of our guilt on the cross, the one who cried out those pained words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For it is in Jesus at his weakest, in his suffering and God-forsakenness that he brings forgiveness and salvation from sins salvation from our impatience pride angry words and selfishness when jesus cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me jesus suffered his most acute pain separation from the father the trinity rendered he was forsaken as the sin and iniquity of the world was placed on his shoulders and he died to many atheists and muslims suffering is inconsistent with their belief in god suffering means god can't exist or that god isn't god yet jesus had a habit of overturning expectations suffering is not inconsistent with christianity or the christian god in fact suffering forms the very heart of it suffering is at the heart of the mission of god and the mission of the messiah suffering to empathize with us in our suffering suffering to die the death we deserve to take our place the suffering of god makes god real to us and makes our relationship with him real. It's precisely the reason that Muslims believe that Jesus didn't die on the cross, for to him to suffer on the cross is to discredit his prophethood. But it, it's the only way that Jesus can fulfill his mission as Messiah to save his people from their sins is by suffering. Why did he do this? Well, because he loves us. He loves us so much that he took up his cross and died for us so that we can receive true forgiveness so why is there suffering well i'm not always sure but when i see jesus death on the cross we know that suffering is not inconsistent with an all-powerful all-loving god where we see jesus suffering and death on the cross it can't be because god doesn't care or he doesn't have a plan in fact he experiences something of the pain and suffering we experience in that way makes god so much more real for us and brings forgiveness God is good and not removed from our suffering. Jesus, the God man, lovingly dies for his people. He confronts evil, he experienced evil, and he cries out those pained words My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus indeed had a habit of overturning expectations.
0: Thank you, Rob. We will have some time for Q&A with Rob. Uh, So if you have questions for him, particularly based on what he said, but if there are other related questions as well, please feel free to send them in using the Q&A function uh, down there at the bottom of your Zoom panel. Uh, Or if you're joining us via Facebook Live, uh, send that through uh, the comments down below and they'll be sent to me as well. Um, We do have some questions coming in, um, but just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, Firstly, if you would like to join our mailing list, or if you have any comments or feedback, uh, the way to get it to us is to uh, email BibleShots one word, Bible shots at citybibleforum.org, uh, and that'll come to me. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, good if there's any last minute updates or any problems, we need to resend out the link or anything like that. Um, or if you've got comments or feedback, please send them there. Uh, and also in the future, if you get a message saying that you were de- declined admission to the Zoom meeting, uh, it is a little problem that we're having with Zoom that we're trying to work through. If it does happen, uh, please let us know. You can uh, send me an email at BibleShots at citybibleforum.org. Um, but also, uh, in the short term, an alternative email address does seem to be working, uh, or you can join us uh, via Facebook Live. Uh, now, Rob, uh, we've got some questions that have come right. through. Um, so there's a couple a couple of things here. Um, so one is um, it's more suffering generally. Why is suffering uh, so random? Uh, there often doesn't appear to be any uh, rhyme or reason behind it, and it's inequitable. Uh, some people suffer a lot more than others, uh, and that's true of whether people follow Jesus or not. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why, why is suffering so random? (laughs)
1: That's a big question. That's a a, a difficult one in many ways. At times suffering is probably less random. I mean, there are some, some situations in which you can predict suffering. Like if you make unwise decisions, this is part of what the proverbial wisdom would say that if you make do silly things you'll kind of guarantee yourself suffering in some sense um so at some sense in some sense it's that that kind of suffering is not particularly random that there's a sort of a predictability, some degree of predictability about it but i take that sense of the question is that certainly things like disease and sickness etc why is that so random and i think that again we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago that in uh, sorry in the last two talks combined i suppose really we've answered that question in some sense is that some reasons we just don't know like why is it random we just don't know. Uh, is it because there's a mindless the universe is mindless? I, I'm not quite convinced that's the case because I think that raises other problems. Um, but I'm about the very nature of what, why we think suffering is bad in the first place. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a difficult question. Why do we know? And I think in the end, as we've talked about last week in particular, that what's the reason for some type, we just don't know. This is we haven't been told at times. And so why is it random at, I mean, sometimes there's a bigger plan, and, and I used the illustration last week of Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit. Uh, compared, to, he was having an adventure, seeing things going on, but there was things going on around him which he just didn't quite comprehend and didn't quite understand. It seemed perhaps a bit random to him, but when you pan back and see the bigger picture, you actually see actually there's not this is not entirely random. There's actually a plan. There's a bigger purpose, etc. Here, but at the moment we just can't see it. So I think that's part of one of the the things, uh, one of the one of the ways in which certainly the Bible reflects on that, that there is a bigger plan that we just don't know enough to be able to make a a, pr- a proper appraisal. So, yeah, but it can feel certainly random. But I think that the the hope of the Christian message is that there's hope in a a good God who uh, we can trust amidst what appears to be random. Thanks, Rob.
0: Um, so another one that's come through um, so historically uh, Christians have continued to affirm that God cannot suffer uh, and Jews and Muslims would uh, hold that view as well but Jesus suffers and you called him the God man uh, so was he God or not or does God suffer and is that a, um, a is that a, a Achilles heel for Christianity?
1: Yeah that's a good question and I think I did I did call Jesus the God man because that's how he's, certainly I think how the New Testament paints him, certainly uh, I mean, I, I, I confuse some of the passages in the talk there, where it talks about the beginning of Matthew talks about Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, and so I think there's a sense, a very real sense, in which Matthew believed God to be coming in the person of Jesus, and those passages also recognizing the identity of the Messiah, actually in the Old Testament, refer to God Himself coming. So I think the, the the ideas that in the within the the Gospels that we certainly the writers there understood Jesus to be the Messiah. So I think that sometimes perhaps the impassibility of God or the fact that he can't suffer perhaps may come more from uh, Greek or sort of more classical conceptions of God, perhaps than what the Bible actually reveals. And that's really what our project is in this series, God, Jesus versus suffering, is to look at, well, we might have ideas about what we think suffering should be and how God should respond. But I think that when we actually read the scriptures, we actually see actually these do challenge some of those notions. And I think that it's quite clear that uh, in the um that jesus is god as the sorry, jesus is a is god incarnate god has come and he does suffer and he does die now that does challenge some notions of uh, of of god and, and his ability to suffer etc and there's been a lot of work done on this topic but i think that there's still a there's a mystery here and a challenge but at the same time i think that there's a very real sense in which in jesus god really does suffer um now, God the Father, does he suffer in the same way? That's a different question. And perhaps, again, we're not so told so much in this. And and I haven't been focusing on that in this particular series. That's a, another question, perhaps, for another time. But I still think that we need to look at the person of Jesus and the, the fact that the, the, the greatest moment in the Christian message, which is the death of Jesus and then his subsequent resurrection, which we'll look at next week, uh, is this rendering of the Trinity and of the death of God Some in some sense that's a mystery it's a challenge um it doesn't mean that god himself dies in entirety but but otherwise if jesus didn't really die and he wasn't really god then the heart of the christian message the atonement that comes i don't think would really work so there's a bigger, there's more to answer that uh, that's the beginnings of an answer i realize it may not be satisfactory but i hope that's at least gives something of a an Thank,
0: there. thanks for the beginnings of an answer there um, i think one more although we are technically now over time um so uh, i'll try and smooth the question out a little bit but the old testament seems to suggest that a lot of times suffering is because people weren't listening to God. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times the Israelites suffer because they ignored God. Um, Does that suggest that actually if they obeyed God, there wouldn't be suffering? Uh, And so suffering was not necessary in the old Testament.
1: It's an interesting question i mean i would affirm the first part definitely that there was certainly the suffering uh of punishment and exile from the old testament people of god was because of they didn't obey and that was very clear um i don't know if you could draw the conclusion from the opposite that if they did obey that they would never suffer i, I think that, that that draws a they wouldn't suffer as a result of being punished by God. I think that'd probably be a, a safe way of answering that question. They probably would be suffer perhaps in other ways, um, but it wouldn't because they disobeyed God and they were then receiving the punishment from that disobedience. And I think that's really what a lot of the the suffering in the Old Testament was due to their disobeying the promises of God, uh, et cetera, or the, the, the covenant that he'd made with his people that God said, you do this and then, but if you don't do this, then there's going to be these, um, this, this, suffering and that's what happened they didn't obey and they suffered so it was kind of expected um partly a hypothetical question if they did obey but i think that that was the also the the, the the goal of the old testament certainly the goal of the promises of god is obedience or uh being connected to him but connected to god will actually lead to blessing so in some sense there will be yes suffering will certainly be amel- ameliorated um, but in terms of all forms of suffering I, 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 that's where i think that that becomes a, a problem i'd have to understand the question and the question where they're coming from with that a bit more because all form would that mean that all of all, all forms of suffering would disappear well people would still die there would still be sickness there would still be disease etc but they would still be in the context and the place of blessing rather than that of punishment which i think is the contrast that's being drawn yeah yes. i hope that does that sort of begin to answer that question i think that's yeah I think,
0: I think so so you, just to, to summarize your answer i think it, you were saying that a lot of the suffering is kind of you see is Israel on a national scale, uh, they reject God and they suffer as a nation. Correct. Um, but that doesn't necessarily translate to the individual. And I guess that's one of the things Job picks up on where
1: it does. They, although I do, I think it would still translate to the individual in a sense. That's why because if the nation is obedient, then the individual will be, is a part of the nation will certainly benefit from that. But I suppose it's more that the purpose of suffering was, uh, in the old Testament was often a punishment for disobedience. Um, that's a certain form of punishment suffering but i suppose you have to when you when a question asks about what you know, the suffering in the old testament what type of suffering are they talking about because the old testament does draw a specific um answer about the the reasons for them being exiled for example or, or being taken over and moved into te- captivity and and uh, occupied etc because that was because of their disobedience and their idolatry etc so that that was kind of predicted but um so that's one form of suffering but even in that sort of place of blessing there was it was still incomplete it really needed the the next um iteration of the way that god has revealed himself uh, ultimately in the person of jesus to provide the true place of where the suffering will be ameliorated or ended and that's what we're looking at next week. So that's why people have to come back to hear the, the good news about when suffering will end.
0: Excellent. Well, that was my final question before we wrap up is we're looking at Jesus versus futility. And what are you looking at next week? Well, you've just answered it. So thank you for so, that. Yeah, question.
1: we're looking at what, what is, uh, yeah, is, is suffering futile in the end or is there hope? That's really what we're looking at next week.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks uh, for speaking to us and opening the Bible with us today, Rob. Thank you all for joining us. uh, And we'll look forward to you joining us next week for the final week of our series on Jesus versus suffering as we consider Jesus versus futility. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, have a great week.